does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Previously on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. All right, round one goes to Purdue. Wow, what a game last night. We'll talk about it. Purdue smacking Indiana around, and we'll talk about it for, well, maybe three hours here on the program. Tons of Colts things, Pacers items as well. A busy, busy Wednesday, a hump day here on the fan. It's the wake-up call. He's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. Mark Dighton producing today's effort. A reminder, Rick Carlisle will be joining us today at about 9.30. Cannot wait for that conversation, but let's jump into it as Purdue all over Indiana, and I have to start with this. I might be, I might have a bone to pick with Kevin Bowen today as we begin. I had no idea that our guy here was going to be in Bloomington last no, night. That was a very late addition. Oh, uh, was it? Okay, because I had no idea. You're, you're snapping photos. It's the big time environment. You know, you could see about half the stadium how far up you were it's My yearly workout, you know, climbing to seats <laughs> oh my God. In, in, in those areas. I, I you got your steps in yesterday. I still don't know if it's better to be in the, I think it is better to be in the balcony at Assembly Hall, which takes 13 minutes to get up there or to be versus the top of the lower right. level, which is where well, you were there, man. I was I, last I, night. I no idea you were there. Yeah, How was uh, it? Fortunate uh, to come across some tickets and uh, good for it, you. Just an incredible, incredible environment. I let off the show yesterday with this is one of my favorite days of the year, and I was reminded of that early on in that game. Stress on early, and I was trying to think driving in this morning. I forget at what point Matty Bowen, a uh, IU grad, uh, again my Notre Dame basketball fandom supersedes everything. I, I forget at what point she leaned over to me because I feel like it could have been one of thirty seven hundred times during the game. Kev, this is so bad. <laughs> and you yeah. you use the boxing analogy right there yeah, to start. Round right? one. Did you just say round one? Uh, Andy, that was a TKO. It's a knockout. Yeah, it, there'll be a round two. I'm not sure how, you know, well Indiana will be off by then. This time yesterday, I was shocked at the line of nine and a half. Vegas knows all. You were all over it, Andy. Um, yeah, it, just a clinical, surgical performance by Purdue in that environment. And um, Mike Woodson's roster construction, Mike Woodson's in-game management, of Mackenzie Mbako, Khalil Ware, uh, just beyond head-scratching. And how about a guy like Fletcher Lawyer for, at times last season, a big disappearing act in some critical moments. Uh, he was outstanding. And, boy, you watch Purdue, and they make one addition, really, in the offseason. You know, and, and I'm thinking, boy, is Lance Jones really enough? Like, is he really? Like, we don't know anything about Lance Jones, Is right. that the guy? And then all of a sudden last night in he's that environment – he delivers for you and delivers early. You know, I I think you point to what he and Lawyer did early. That kind of set the tone. Obviously, Edie speaks for himself. Uh, you think IU could use a guy like Lance Jones? You think Boy, that, that would be I, a nice I, portal, IU could portal use portal a lot of guys. They could use Maybe a ton of guys. Maybe putting all the eggs in the broken foot, Xavier, volatile Xavier Johnson basket, and Trey Galloway ascending from role player to lead guard was probably not the path to take. Just such an embarrassing, embarrassing, pathetic performance from Indiana. Um, Purdue, again, absolutely surgical for them. They get, you know, benefit from Wisconsin losing last night. Uh, and the biggest win in Bloomington for Purdue in this series since 1934. Let me set up the show. Joe Wright's going to join us coming up here in about 30 minutes. He'll join us at 7.30 or so. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on the end of the cold season. Rick Carlisle at 9.30. We kind of have an interesting quandary here. Lots of rumors out there about the Pacers and Pascal Siakam. So, uh, obviously, we'll try to to weave around that and get some thoughts on Rick Carlisle on what he may want to say, what he can't say. Obviously, the Pacers, the walking Mundi, we'll try to get some updates there. Otherwise, we'll play some sound. A lot to do today with Indiana and Purdue. I guess I would start just with this, and we can go back and forth here uh, over the next three hours. You're right. The management of fouls, the fouling itself, the second half comeback. For me, listen, I think it's, you know, today it's a lot of it bleeds, it leads, and I understand that. And that is how... Uh, this game will be perceived probably more so on this station, more so because there are more Indiana fans, more IU fans, KB, of it's going to be seen as what a disaster for the Hoosiers. And it was. And I think that is obviously one of the leads 
it just needs to be said, you know, Purdue, and you mentioned lawyer, whoever it may be, hitting shots early, Jones hitting shots early to settle things down. The other side of this is, you know, Purdue walked in there and smacked Indiana around. And there have been times even this season that even though it's a rivalry game, you let a bad team, you let an average team hang around. Now, the second half, and there are things we can dive into with that, but, um, you know, Purdue walked in and was ready to go. They had a game plan, and they were ready to go in this one. And then, you know, while there's good, there's bad, and, and, you know, in the wind for Purdue – I would say one silver lining with some of the bad is, you know, Purdue gets the big lead. And then in the second half, what IU hit seven of their first 10 shots and Trey Galloway. I mean, Trey Galloway, a couple of those those shots didn't hit anything. I mean, those were uh, quite literally nothing but net. And then Purdue has to kind of, kind of, kind of check themselves. They have to make. Uh, changes to what they were doing defensively. They have to get the focus back when the game gets down under 10. It got down to nine a couple different times there in the second half. And then they they beat Indiana down again. They take them out again uh, for that second time. And so when you talk about an ebb and flow to these games, you know, Purdue able to get the lead, have that great first half, have Indiana come back. They make changes, extend the lead, and really bury Indiana a second time. Uh, I think there's something to that. And it left Indiana without this taste in their mouth of, well, we lost by six moral victory crap. No Hoosier fan left there thinking moral victory crap last night. Yeah, just so sad that it even potentially took a half like that to, I guess, somewhat wake up. I I, I don't even really... I. That run, and I put that in quotes to start the second half. I mean, that wasn't real. That was, God bless that crowd because it was just simply they wanted something to cling to. They want they, it's like Anything. they were trying to lift a car. Right. It's like we want, we think we're going in there, and yeah, all right, you grab right. that side, I grab yeah. this side. Galloway hits three, a couple threes, boom, right? Lift, and then it's like, oh bleep, <laughs> we can't even move it. It's like they would cut it to twelve, and I'm like. Damn, the whole section's standing up yeah. around me? Yeah. I'm like, God bless this fan. Like, it's why I love the rivalry. When they're trying. It's just, it's unbelievable passion. And I'll echo something I said, I think, after the Rutgers loss. I, I, find me a program in college basketball, Andy, that has spent, invested time, resources, money, everyone to look at it, more into their basketball pro- program over the last decade and gotten less out of it. And you know what? We had Tom Crean on yesterday. You think three Sweet 16s in his last six years would look pretty good right now? Yeah, I think we look back on Tom Crean's era a little bit differently after what we've seen with Archie Miller and even a couple years with Mike Woodson. Yeah, that's a fair thing to say. Absolutely. Again, on the Woodson front, the, the taking McKenzie and Baco, because for me, why I thought Indiana would hang in there, would would you know make this a game uh, for the better part of 40 minutes, I thought McKenzie and Baco would be a really tough cover for Purdue. Andy, I believe he had the first seven last night, and all of a sudden he gets two fouls. Khalil Ware gets two fouls, and as this lead starts to grow and it starts to snowball a bit, Mike Woodson does not put either back in the game. I found it very fitting. Ware finished 26 minutes played. McKenzie and Baco, 26 minutes played. They combined for one foul after their sit and timeout with two for a – I think the lead grew from, I believe it was like 3 to 19 I think when Ware was out and McKenzie and Baca was pretty much on the same timeline as Khalil Ware. They came back with 2.14 left in the half, and they were down 18 at the that point. Over. They were down 43-25. That was the score. The yep. game is over at that point. I just That is, to me, it's such NBA stubbornness from Mike Woodson. I think we see that way too often from him in his in-game management. Again, I would argue his roster construction in putting the puzzle Together for them. Um, I also want to give a little bit. Uh, I mean, again, Edie. It's like we take we it ju- for granted. We just no, take we do him for granted. No, I mean, we do. Saturday, Andy had thirty and twenty and thirty minutes. Uh, it's ridiculous. Last we take night, it for granted. The biggest front line in the Big Ten. Yep, he's got thirty three and fourteen. And I tweeted out after the game. He is so damn skilled. He's seven four, but his ability to catch, his ability to have touch. What was he? Eleven of twelve from the foul line. His ability to be st- stamina wise. He's diving on the floor three minutes to go in the game. Uh, he is incredibly skilled for a player that big. Um, and Brain Smith was two of fourteen, which is obviously an ugly, ugly looking number. And 
you know, if we want to project to, you know, the second matchup in February, now you start to look at Braden Smith. I think he was three of 18. He just missed so many shots that were four feet. You know what? Everything was a four footer. He did something that Xavier Johnson and Gabe Cups couldn't sniff last night. And that was Braden Smith handling the basketball for nine assists throughout the game. He quarterbacked them. He kept that turnover number overall low. And you look at Cups and you look at Xavier Johnson, they combined for 41 minutes. They have one assist. Four turnovers combined out of that point guard position. And the more Xavier Johnson played, the better Purdue played. Purdue should give Xavier Johnson the game ball at the second matchup here coming up. In, <laughs> the, the, in, the, the real game ball or the February. alternate well, game ball yeah. from Giannis? That is, uh, yeah, which, which, Zach, which you probably need to be honored for another thing. <laughs> Fair enough. With that, but, um, it, 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 yeah, I, it just such a embarrassing performance from Indiana. And at the same time, Purdue deserves a ton of credit. For walking to that environment, which, to use Zach Eady's words, we were shell-shocked. Some of our guys were shell-shocked by it last season. And, again, it's a lot of the same group of guys. And they handled it beautifully. And, and that's just, you know, that's, that's not a guarantee. And Matt Painter said after the game, you know, it's one thing to win the neutral court games like we have. Right. But to win on the road like this. To go this on the road. They struggled, yeah. Is not something we have done to the degree that I would like this season, of course. Uh, and, and, again, that was absolutely surgical by Matt Painter and his bunch. Yeah, we'll get into some of the smaller things that happened throughout the game, which is how we get to 87-66, your final last night in Bloomington. Give Purdue uh, all the credit in the world. Matt Painter, Zach Eady, Braden Smith, Lawyer, the entire group uh, for the basketball they played last night for, well, at least 30, 35 minutes of the game. Uh, just quickly on IU, and then we'll move on to a couple different items here uh, on our first segment. You know, for me, and I have been clear, with this the analysis is rather simple yes could Mike Woodson have not fallen asleep at the wheel with Ware and Mbako I would agree with that but he just doesn't have a talented team I I don't know what else to say part of the team is talented Uh, Ware could not get two fouls because then they could really focus in on Renew and they did a great job uh, for the most part on him but I just you know, for me, Indiana doesn't have the horses. They don't have the roster. That's why I thought they would keep it close. They would play well. I had it 83-70 yesterday, and then in the final, you know, three, four, five, six minutes, uh, they would finally give in because they're not that good of a team. To me, IU season KB is directly on the brink. I, I don't mind saying it. It absolutely is. Oh, I think it's over. I, I mean, I, I think, yeah, you could say they just got pushed off the ledge I mean, unless last you went in the night. Cole Center for the first time since I was in diapers yeah, and on I, Friday. Yeah, I've never seen it. It's it's just it's just not going to happen. And you know, you saw Purdue daring them. Please shoot threes, guys. Please shoot threes. And I, you know, listen. I could say I hate to harp on it, but I don't hate to harp on it. This season partially was predicated on. You know, we don't need some of these different, you know, Dalton Connect and some of these other guards. I know they went after him, but it was all going to be okay because you got Xavier Johnson back. And this was predicated on Xavier Johnson not giving you a zero, not being not being a negative, not being but a complete mess. On that. Imagine betting on a guy that has been compared well, to Lance Stevenson. Good Lance, bad Lance. A guy that off the floor has not given it for you and on the floor enough. can look like all-conference one game and the next game he looks like... You know, it looks a, terrible. A, a, an absolute laughing stock. Yeah. Right, right now, he wouldn't play for Southern no, Indiana. He, he's he's a laughing stock, and that you know everything was predicated. You know, Galloway, sure. Uh, did you want him to be more consistent? I mean, I think for the most part, renew. And Kalique Ware and Mbako now are starting to live up to what you thought they were going to do. I think Galloway, to a certain extent, is doing that as well. But that that guard position, that point guard position, that team leader, that quarterback, uh, it's a mess. And it was predicated on Xavier Johnson not being a mess. And he's a complete mess. And I think it, I hate to say it really starts there, but for me, it does start there. It does. As Andy said, Joe Wright's going to join us here coming up uh, in a little bit, probably uh, 7.30, maybe a little bit after that as we recap the Colts season with uh, one of their radio voices and Joe Wright's Rick Carlisle, 9.30 today. We try and time up the time change. God uh, bless him joining him. us, by the way. Yes, I cannot imagine <laughs> doing that. 6.30 in the morning. At all. Uh, we do want to share this here in the opening segment, though. And, you know, I, I think when we've talked about Jim Irsay and his health situation right now, Andy, I've hoped that, you know, when we have done that over the past couple of weeks, stress that, you know, Jim is Jim's struggling. And, you know, thoughts certainly – uh, with his family. I don't think Chris Ballard would use a word like stable last mm-hmm. Thursday in the press conference uh, if this was not something that, you know, was serious. And obviously Jim uh, has dealt with a lot health-wise 
in his life. Uh, this came out in the wee hours of the morning. I think this rumor's been going around uh, quite a bit, really, for the past couple of weeks, but confirmed here uh, via the Carmel Police Department, TMZ had this report uh, in that back on December 8th at around 4.30 in the morning, uh, Jim Mersey found Lane in his bed unresponsive, cold to the touch, and gasping for air during a suspected overdose. Again, this was December 8th, about 4.30 in the morning. Carmel Police Department documents obtained by TMZ uh, on the report here. Uh, it says, after someone said they had found the Colts owner unconscious on a bathroom floor with a blue skin tone, uh, and more quotes here. When police first arrived on the scene, they say Ursa had been moved to his bed where he was struggling to breathe and had a weak pulse and constricted pupils. Police say in the docks an attempt to wake him with the sternum rub was unsuccessful. They added, though, that after administering one dosage of Narcan, a drug commonly used to revive people in opiate uh, overdose situations, he responded slightly. Cops say they were prepared to attach an AED to Ursa, but paramedics arrived and took over life-saving efforts. Ursa was eventually transported to a nearby hospital uh, via an ambulance. Um, you know, I, I think you read it, and honestly, a thought that you know crosses my mind pretty early in that, Andy, is addiction is an unrelenting beast, sadly. Um, you know, I think when we had Andrea Kramer on back in the fall, you know, she had that interview with Jim and shared mm-hmm. with us, you know, I guess Jim shared with her um, an overdose that he had and, and, and you know, what, 15 trips, I think it was, to rehab over the course of his life. Um, I, I do want to throw this in there. Again, this happened on December 8th is the report. Um, that was a Friday morning, again, early in that Friday morning, 4.30 a.m. on that. Um, Jim Mercer was at the Colts and Steelers game eight days later. So, you know, I, I think when people see this news and then see the report last week from the Colts about the severe respiratory illness that Jim Mercer is currently dealing with, and I think a lot of people are trying to, okay, you know, what is the correlation between that and this? For what it's worth, eight days after this reported incident, uh, we did see Ursay in a public setting. Now, that's the last time me personally right. has seen him. Um, but if you're not following the story, you think this happened, and you're like, okay, he hasn't been around, it, that it's connected to correct. the, so the, I, the I statement last week. I want to provide a little bit of context around that. Um, you know, that was a home game for the Colts. The Colts and Steelers playing on that Saturday afternoon it's or Saturday game, evening. Yeah. Uh, so we did see Jim Mercer then, but he's a troubled man. Um, certainly, you know, a lot of demons that that he has. Unfortunately, sounds like still fighting with this. Um, we'll await any other or additional info from the Colts on that. But I uh, wanted to make sure that we shared that here on this Wednesday morning. Yeah, so that's uh, it's a sad story. That, honestly, that's one of the first stories I saw when I opened the old phone this morning was uh, the TMZ yeah, report. It was like 2 a.m. It was yeah. 1, 2 a.m. Uh, in the morning. So we'll dive into that. Uh, Shams uh, has a piece on The Athletic about the Pacers moving in on Pascal Siakam. We can dive into that. But Joe Wright's going to join us. And we'll keep the Indiana-Purdue chatter going all day. Just a uh, just a, a wild game and quite the performance last night from Matt Painter and company. Much easier travel day, I think, for everybody. I'll yes. speak for myself on the commute in this morning. I know some Donut County still with some delays. But for the most part, uh, much, much better from a commute standpoint here on this Wednesday. That still doesn't morning. mean drive like an ass. Though. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't think it ever does. But, yes, uh, thank you, Mark, for that. Uh, thank you for spending this Wednesday morning with us. It's The Wake Up. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Little incubus from Mark Dykton. I like that on a Wednesday. Hanging out with you. Rick Carlisle going to join us at 930. Joe Wright's going to join us here in just a second. Couple uh, different reminders. We'll we'll stay with the Indiana-Purdue action from last night. We'll keep diving into that. What did both coaches say? Uh, we'll do that. Again, Rick Carlisle joining us. The Pascal Siakam rumors are out there with the Pacers and the Raptors. Definitely something uh, that we'll be watching over the next, what, days, weeks, uh, we shall see. But let's, let's put a bow continue to put that bow uh, on a cult season. We'll do so with Joe Wrights here. And, uh, you know, Kevin whispered in my ear, Joe, and thanks for joining us here on the Payless Lakers hotline that, oh, Joe will want to talk about the game last night he will. between yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Purdue and Indiana. He's got a little boiler yeah, fandom in I, I know he does. So, Joe, I'm sure you stayed up to watch that game. What did you think? 
Yeah, uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Andy, Kevin, great to be with you. I think it's the greatest rivalry in college basketball, and if you're waking up this morning, you're either really, really happy or you're really, really downtrodden. And I just thought Purdue just came out, and, I mean, they really just, you know, they just punched early and they punched often, and I thought Edie was phenomenal, like a lot of people. I mean, when your 7-4 guy is diving on the floor with three minutes to go in the game when you're up by 20, I mean, I thought that kind of epitomized just Purdue that they really won it. And, uh, you know, it was uh, – you made a little run there and, and hit a bunch of threes, but like we always used to say, it's easy to shoot when you're down 20, right? And early on in the game, Purdue was giving them some looks, and, and IU wasn't knocking them down. So, yeah, it was uh, – a good game. A lot of hoops. I mean, with Carlisle, are we gonna? Are you just guys gonna ask him and find out right away if Siakam's coming here to uh, the Pacers, or what are we gonna do here? Yeah, yeah it's six thirty Pacific time. He's joining us, Joe. I'm afraid if we lead with that, he might just hang up, and we might just be without a segment there for the next ten minutes. I, I do want to ask you one more on last night, and I, I don't know. I know you're not seven four, obviously, but. You know, you were more of a big man, and I was hoping you could speak to this, just like the skill level of Zach Eady. Like, I think it's such a lazy argument when I hear, well, he's 7'4", what do you expect? But I just think he's incredibly skilled, whether it's his touch, his catching ability, hell, his stamina. I mean, all of those things to me, Joe, like, I I don't know. I feel like, oh, he's tall, so of course he's good. Can you speak to, like, watching him and just maybe his skill level for a big guy? For sure. The first thing I think about is his stamina. To be that big, 300 pounds, 7'4", and play 30 minutes a game, I think he's really improved defensively. But you watched. I mean, IU at times did a good job. They were knocking the ball away. They were surrounded with guys. There's not a lot of 7'4 guys that can get the ball knocked out of their hand, have the focus, bend down, pick it up, finish. You know, he can go right, he can go left. His footwork is just, you know, really, really good. And, um, yeah, he, he's a unique player. I mean, he's going to be – two-time Wooden Player of the Year, and I think it'll be really interesting to kind of watch him at the next level and where does he might fit because obviously the traditional back-to-the-basket big man isn't uh, prevalent in a ton of NBA teams and franchises, but I think he can play in the league for sure. Yeah, and he's got better. I mean, he came back to school, and I, I think his pick-and-roll oh, defense. Oh, he's only played basketball for, yeah. what, like well, seven years, I mean, years, Painter talked years? about it. You know, his pick-and-roll defense uh, is much better and everything else. So, uh, quite a game last night. Hoosiers tried to punch back, like you said, Joe, but uh, Purdue was way too much. They were fantastic for about 35 minutes uh, in that game. Joe Wright's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, as we transition to the Colts, let me ask you this just to get things going. What was, you know, watching this team, what was the most satisfying part of this season for you watching this team? And then on the flip side, what was the biggest frustration, the most frustrating uh, part of this team watching what they did this season? Yeah, great question. I think the most satisfying part is when you look at this season as a whole, I think that, you know, Shane Steichen, Chris Ballard, the leaders in that locker room have reestablished a winning culture. I mean, you were 9-8 and in a season where uh, nobody thought you were going to be any good and your starting quarterback only played a few games, and you were in there with Minshew for most of the season. You know, Jonathan Taylor misses the first four games. You know, you, you battle injuries like every team does. But I think that winning culture is back in terms of – and that's something that I don't feel like they've had that level of accountability and discipline over the last few years, and I think Shane has really brought that back. And I think you see his offensive prowess and genius, which is awful exciting, especially when you think about getting Richardson back in the fold next year. I thought the most disappointing thing, obviously the game against Houston was really tough because you had the chance to host a home playoff game and and you don't get those opportunities every single day. But I think the most disappointing part for me was, you know, really our team's inability to cover the other team's best receiver. I mean, going to that Houston game, you think they got Nico Collins and they're playing with a bunch of practice squad wide receivers. Nothing against them. I was on the practice squad for three years myself, but we let him go for 200. And, you know, the week before Adams had two touchdowns and, it seemed like we we didn't ever game plan week to week specific to really try to take away their best option through the air, and we let a lot of quarterbacks. You know, Aiden O'Connell threw for 260 yards against us, and uh, we let a lot of quarterbacks just get really really comfortable. I think with the way that we played defensively. He's one of the greatest athletes, frankly, this state has ever seen. He is Joe Wrights with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joe, this time last year, I think we did kind of a postmortem with you, and obviously the offensive line was a very early question thrown your way, and I think your response was certainly in more of a negative light than it will be this year. What were your observations in comparing the O-line performance from last year to what you saw this season? 
Yeah, I think they they really, really had a good season. I think credit to those guys, credit to Tony Sperano Jr. He really maximized that group. Um, when you just go down the line, Ryman got better. Now, Quentin Nelson's made six straight Pro Bowls, right? But last year, he didn't have his best season. He played like an All-Pro this year. I, I, there were some games on film when I watched the next morning that, I mean, he was he was really special. I thought Ryan Kelly bounced back from a disappointing 2022 year and had a really, really solid season. I think Fries was solid. And then, you know, Smith was solid when he played. He obviously missed some time with injuries. And, and I think Freeland held up okay. Um, you know, obviously you, you can't expect too much out of a fourth-round rookie. But I really thought the Colts reestablished themselves as the offensive line being the heartbeat of the team. And then when Jonathan Taylor got back, he's just special. I mean, that game he had against Houston, battling the injuries that he had, that shows that even though he's a running back, a position that maybe is devalued a little bit in today's NFL, he can be uniquely special, and I'm awful excited. You pair him with Richardson, and it's a completely different story because now you got to account for the 12th man, the running game, and uh, I just think it'll be really fun to watch Jane and Jim Bob scheme up offensively next year, and, and I think one thing we do need offensively is more explosive plays in the pass game, in the run game, but I think Richardson's unique talent set paired with Jonathan Taylor uh, should get that done. What would be your biggest need? Maybe one on each side of the ball heading into the offseason. Yeah, I would say tight end. I just think our tight ends have kind of been a revolving door. And, and you look around the league, Kevin, and, and you see these guys. I mean, Buffalo, you know, Kincaid, you know, he's got a touchdown in the playoffs. I think tight end is such a uh, a position where you can get an advantage because the, the tight ends now, let's be honest, they're, they're glorified wide receivers and they're too quick to have a safety or a linebacker cover them, cover them. So I think tight end offensively, and I think in – defensive side, I would look at the secondary too. I do like our young corners. I like Brents. I like Jones. They're physical. They're long. Kenny Moore had a really good season, but I do think we need some more help back there in the secondary. Joe Wright's with us here on the fan on this Wednesday, talking some Colts on the Payless Liquors hotline. Let's stay there with the defense and the secondary. Boy, boy, Joe, it's been a big conversation since the end of the season. That secondary, even in Ballard's postseason press conference. I don't want to say which side, but what what's your opinion? How do you come down on the Gus Bradley conversation? Yeah, it's interesting. I just think that it, it's it, To me, the, the best defenses we played were always game plan specific. And I think you have to do that in today's NFL where it can't just be, hey, we're just going to do what we do and execute it really good. You're playing teams that have unique players, and NFL quarterbacks are just so, so accurate now. And if you let quarterbacks sit back there and get comfortable and get in a rhythm and never heat them up or take some things away, I mean, guys will throw, you know, 65, 70, 80, 85% accuracy. And I think we did that too much last year. Um, as a defense. So I'll be interested to see kind of where we go. Uh, I do think our linebacking core is excellent. And, and let's talk about the pass rush. I, I give a lot of credit to Chris Ballard. Samson Ebucom, he's a lot better than I thought he was when we signed him. And we had some games, fellas, that reminded me of the good old days with Freeney and Mathis where we're up in the fourth quarter and our D-line closed the game. And when you think about Ebucom, you think about Dio really came on. Obviously, Buckner inside. Quiddy on the other side. Tyquan Lewis. I like where our defensive line's going. I do think another area of need is we got to have a backup run stuffer because when Grover Stewart would come out of the game, teams would just run right up the middle. It'd be four or five yards every time. So that's another need that I think we got to get a big guy in there that when Grover's got to take a break, we're able to stop the run inside. He is Joe Wright. Of course, you hear him during the season. Colts Roundtable Live, really, really good listen with Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi, and Joe. And then obviously on the Colts pregame show, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I was hoping to go back to a point, Joe, that you mentioned there and talking about your playing days and getting ready for opposing defenses and maybe expand on that. I guess what defense, whether it's stylistically, philosophically, however you want to take it, what defenses maybe struck fear in you on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in terms of preparation? Like what did you not want to see in preparing for a defense? Well, I, I didn't want to see good pass rushers on the other side, but <laughs> sure. you know, unfortunately, everybody had them. So Fair I think enough. for me, it, it, it was more of a uh, a player specific. But I did think that teams that were really multiple and complex from a blitz perspective, they were just hard to prepare for because you think you, you might have forty, fifty plays that you're going to dial up, and if this team's blitzing you, you know, ten, twenty, you know, all these different kinds of blitz packages, you got to be able every situation to say, okay, if they run this blitz and we got this play on, what's the contingency, and what's the call? And, uh, again, I think that, you know, quarterbacks now are just so good offensively 
And, you know, I just think they can get in a rhythm really early and really often. So I'm, I'm more of a fan of a team that would blitz more than would blitz less, especially in today's modern NFL. Joe writes with us here on the fan. Yeah, I wanted to ask you this, you know, uh, whether it be Ballard or Steichen or, you know, I know I know Zaire Franklin, I think even Jonathan Taylor after the season, all, you know, everyone involved with the Colts has, has said, hey, we feel like we're on the cusp of something, right? Like this season didn't end with us, you know, winning the South. We didn't go to the postseason, but boy, we turned things around. You talked about it a couple minutes ago, Joe, uh, the winning culture that is now back in the building. When you're a team on the cusp though I think next year fans are going to expect even more how do they get over the hump if you will I mean again free agency you're gonna add the draft although next year the schedule is gonna be more difficult right you're not gonna get all these backup quarterbacks you would imagine that you're playing week in and week out do you feel like they're on the cusp and then how do you kind of get over that hump if you're a team right now that's trying to do that and the Colts are one of those teams trying to do that yeah, agree. I think you got to be able to close games. When you look back at our season, you know, the Rams game at home, the Browns game at home. I know there were some bad calls, but you know, that's just part of the that's part of the NFL. You know, obviously Houston the last game of the season. We had so many games where we were right there in the fourth quarter. And fellas, it's crazy. Seventy percent of games last year in the NFL came down to a one score game. And so that's the reality of the NFL. And when I'm talking about closing games, it's being at your best when your best is needed, executing in the fourth quarter, not turning the football over, not having a penalty, and just making special, unique plays. I think we need to continue to get those game-breaker guys, third down, red zone, that can just make special plays. But I do think that you have a great foundation to build on. And when you think about 9-8 and this year, you know, it reminds me a little bit of 2012 when, you know, and obviously the quarterback was different. Um, and Andrew had a phenomenal season, and, and Richardson just unfortunately got a, an incomplete because of injuries. But, you know, nobody thought we were going to be good, and we won 11 games and went to the playoffs, and that kind of set the foundation for a really good run here in Indy. I think we kind of have the same thing, but obviously we're going to be patient a little bit with Richardson. Just think, it's not going to be his rookie year. He's played in the NFL. He's been around from everything I've heard. He's been a great student of the game and really been locked in all these meetings. But the reality is he's only played a few games, so it's not going to be a – a rookie year for him, but it's not going to be a true second year like maybe, you know, C.J. Stroud and, and Bryce Young had. So there, there probably will be a little bit of ups and downs from Richardson, but the excitement and the explosive plays that he's going to bring is needed for this team and, uh, you know, obviously fired up for, for next year already. Joe, we started with basketball. We will end with basketball. I know you were extremely pleased on Saturday night to see the Golden Eagles of Garen flock their way to West 50, or East 56th Street, I should say, and Bobby Allen and Ryan Davis with a big upset win over my Cathedral Fighting Irish. So shout out to two legends there, and congrats to your Golden Eagles. And I believe, was that Brian Cardinal's son on the game-winning bucket? Did I see that? Yeah, Coach Allen drew up a gem in the huddle out of bounds play, and Bryson Cardinal had a uh, a huge bucket. But I was wondering if you were going to go there, Kevin. Obviously, <laughs> Cathedral undefeated, great program. It was a great high school basketball game. We just uh, had one more point than they did. So, yeah, it's been fun. And a uh, big game for the Golden Eagles Friday night because we're at Burbuff and uh, the Braves, they're awful good this year too. So it uh, continues on here in the Circle City Conference. It was a very politically correct celebration by you of that victory um, from Saturday night. Uh, Brian Cardinal, by the way, terrific with Jake and uh, Jimmy yesterday from noon to three. Joe, always great hearing your voice, man. Hope the fam is doing well. Hope Jill is doing well. And uh, we'll certainly catch up later in the offseason. All right, fellas. Appreciate you having me on. That is Joe Wrights right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Yeah, Brian Cardinal. The janitor. Uh, some real fun stories yesterday <laughs> with Jake and Jimmy. If you guys missed it. It, it was know, great. I heard it. Uh, Bruce Weber and Tom Crean we had on at the 9 o'clock hour. And, you know, selfishly, obviously I'm biased. But I think really both those interviews, you know, not super time sensitive either. You know, I, I feel like if, you know, listeners want to go back and, and catch those up on the podcast, uh, you'll find you know, different takeaways that aren't just relative to last night. Although when Tom Green was kind of mapping out, Andy, how he looked at Indiana, uh, certainly I think you could point to some things, probably more defensively than offensively, 
Uh, some issues that showed up again last night for the Hoosiers. Yeah, and Tom Green also, you ask him at the end, does he want to coach again? I went back and I listened to that answer, and he he, he said, not basically, he said, he said verbatim, I want to go somewhere where basketball matters. Remember the last place he was at was a little school called Georgia, uh, who has a pretty good football program, <laughs> but doesn't do too much uh, on the basketball side. Uh, I'm He's cl- a great answer about NIL as well Oh yeah, uh, in relation to that, to that question. Oh, yeah. So uh, we'll dive back into 8 o'clock hour is going to be a ton of IU Purdue will stay with the Jim Ursay story. Obviously, Pascal Siakam, uh, you, you're you're down on that can, potential can move we, with the Pacers. Okay, so, yeah, sure, we got a minute here. So the report is this, and this is from the Athletic. Um, you know, talk about timing last night during the IU game. It's like not now. Uh, okay, this is from Sham Sharnia of the Athletic. The Pacers and Raptors actively engaged in trade talks centered around two-time All-Star forward Pascal Siakam. That would send him to Indiana for a package that includes Bruce Brown Jr., other salaries, and three first-round draft picks. The Raptors have engaged in discussions with several teams. Um, I think they mentioned the Kings, the Warriors, the Mavs as well, um, about a Siakam deal, but the conversations with the Pacers have gained steam in recent days. Sources briefed on the talks between the two teams say there have been several back-and-forth proposals made. While the two sides have been described as being far along in the process, According to sources, they've yet to finalize or agree on a deal. Okay, so what's your initial reaction? Because we feel the same about Siakam. We like the player, doesn't help on defense, good offensive player, better than what you've had at that position, no doubt. But, you know, if the if the rumors slash murmurings are true that he's not giving teams assurances that he's going to sign long-term. Then you can't do the deal, period. Then to me, it's not even about the players. It would be about the picks and the egg on your face if he left after a few months and you end up being a six seed. If he is not ready to re-sign a deal with you, you cannot do the deal. He's a free agent coming up in, what, five months? Yeah. So wouldn't you say to Pascal Siakam's agent, hey, man, uh, you want to sign in Indiana? Okay, how about if we not trade away? Three first round picks. How about if we not trade away our our best perimeter defender? I, I don't is that Bruce Brown? I mean, do you talk about helping you yeah, out probably, on the defensive yeah. end of the floor? Certainly one of your better ones. Uh you would obviously uh, hurt that. Uh wouldn't you say to Siakam's camp, we'll give you that max, but we'd like to keep some of our assets to help build around Pascal Siakam here. So that to me is my first thought on it. It's a non-starter if he is not going to re-sign right away and, and get that extension for you then. Um I worry a little bit about his age. Uh, you know, he'll turn 30 and, you know, he typically misses right around double digit games every season. You know, does that number start to grow into his 30s? Um, I think offensively, he's obviously very gifted and he fits that positional question of, okay, who's your four man moving forward? But again, on the other end of the floor, if you are theoretically trading away one of your best defenders, and I think the key phrase in there is it's not just Bruce Brown. No, there, it's going to be a couple other guys. Another sure. player sure. of note here, along with the f- three first round picks. I just have skepticism about it. It's not as big of a slam dunk, nor do I look at the Pacers right now, Andy, and think you need to have an incredible amount of urgency with a big swing. You know, I've said all along, I think you have two big swings with the Tyrese Halliburton six-year deal. I don't think I want the first swing to be this. I, I'm not as bothered by – I know we need to go to break. I, I'm not as bothered by – some of the uh, some of the players you would give up, like I mean, if you're keeping Jarris Walker and you're keeping Matherin, and it's some guys with expiring contracts, Bruce Brown and Obi Top, and I'm just throwing out guys that you know we don't know if they're going to be back. Jalen Smith is a is a very and I like him. I think Jalen Smith has developed uh, into a pretty damn good player. I'm not as worried about them, and I know draft capital. JMV was ranting about draft capital. You know, enough with picks. Like it's okay to move some of these first round picks, but if you do all of that and you don't keep the guy, boy, that's a look you're not going to be able no, to recover from. And, and Toronto's in a spot. I think if Scott Agnes was on yesterday uh, with the midday guys, you know, the other thing in this, you know, Toronto has been in a situation where they have had guys leave and they haven't got anything from them. You can think of a Kyle Lowry, for instance. You know, guys have walked. Yeah, Fred and, Van Vliet yeah, to yeah, and they last have, year. And they haven't got anything for him. Good God, if I, if I had on the table Bruce Brown in another expiring contract and two or three first-rounders, if I'm the Raptors, I, I'm doing that, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't, that's how I feel, at least. And I know people would counter and say, okay, look, you, you, your, your eighth overall pick or whatever Jarris Walker was, can't even get on the floor right now. I'm like, first off, he's 20 years old. 
Secondly, trading away three first-round picks, it's not about using all three of those first-round picks. It's about packaging and them. drafting right. individual guys. It's about what those mean to right. other trades and the flexibility for you. If all of a sudden you get in a position here in the next year or two and you're like, man, we'd love to have an additional first because we really need insert this position or this type of skill set, now that hinders you. And that would be my hesit- hesitancy with it. 8 o'clock hour, tons of Indiana Purdue. The latest on Jim Irsay, Rick Carlisle joins us at 9.30. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Always hanging on the drivehubler.com studios. You miss any of our conversations. You can always find those at 1075thefan.com. Download the app. You can take us anywhere uh, in the world streaming. We always appreciate when you make us a part of your morning querying company coming your way at noon at 3 o'clock is JMV. All right, let's go on out to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Boy, do we uh, really appreciate Rick Carlisle, Pacers head coach, joining us this morning. Uh, Coach, I know it's early. We appreciate it. How are you on this fine Wednesday? What's the temperature there? Uh, five, four degrees. I'm being told. Yeah, four wow. degrees. <clears throat> Let me first start off by saying that uh, I uh, cannot talk about anything having to do with trade rumors. That's one thing. Um, second thing is that uh, Tyrese is making uh, steady, uh, steady progress and uh, has had no setbacks, so that's good news. Um, we've had a couple of rough games here, uh, you know, after the first win in Atlanta, which was a, which was a good win. And uh, so it's dark here in Sacramento. It's 630 in the morning. So there you go. Well, at least it's warmer than it is here, Coach, well, if you're looking for well, positive. Well, Coach, can we do this? Everyone's like, you know, because we were talking you know, out west, you know, we didn't know if we were going to have you this week, which is totally understandable. We always appreciate your time. And I kind of made a joke. I'm like, I just figured coaches are always up watching game film. So I didn't know if we were actually waking you up or if you've been up for two hours watching game film or not. Well, when you come out here, you know, there's a tendency to wake up early anyway because of the time change. And uh, presumably you've been on, been on Eastern time for quite some time. So, um, you know, it's it's not that big a deal. Um, this is a interesting trip because it kind of starts east and moves gradually further west. And then, uh, then it kind of meanders back toward the east. Um, you know, with the last game being in Phoenix. Um, one of the interesting things about the, the trip is that, uh, you know, on the way back, uh, we are, uh, we're going to be going through Tucson. So we're going to play Portland on Friday night, uh, Saturday morning, we will go from Portland and, uh, the entire group will fly to Tucson. So, uh, Ben Matherin is being, uh, um, honored at the university, university of Arizona. I presume at halftime of their game against UCLA in their ring of honor. So, uh, that's great. A, a lot of people, uh, a lot of players, coaches will, uh, will go directly to the, uh, the arena at Arizona, um, for that ceremony and, um, the rest of the travel party will go, you know, get on a bus and go in the, and the equipment truck will go from Tucson to Phoenix, which is, I think about an hour and a half or something, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but, uh, that'll be a, a really nice, um, event for Ben. Um, and uh, you know, he's a two-year player at Arizona. Any, anytime you're talking ring of honor, that's a pretty big deal in any sport. So we're very happy for him. Rick Carlisle with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You mentioned and you gave us the update on Tyrese Halliburton. We appreciate it. Uh, you guys are kind of walking wounded, though, whether it be Bruce Brown or Nee Smith or Ben Matherin. Can you give us what do you feel comfortable update-wise on those guys and their injuries? Well, we have a practice today um, in Sacramento. And we'll be on the court at noontime. And I'll have a better idea of where we are at that point in time. Um you know, Matherin's situation, we don't believe is serious. Uh, you know, we also have Neesmith who has missed games. You know, um, Bruce has been has been recovering, you know, uh, with, with good, very good progress. 
his situation with the knee. Um, who else? <laughs> we got we got a few other aches and pains and nicks, but um, we'll find out. We'll find out more today. But uh, but Tyrese is the one that uh, you know I, a lot of people are thinking about because um, of how how important he is to our team and. You know, all these guys are because we really are a, a, a sum of the some of the parts operation here. Um, but he's doing uh, he's doing well. He was uh, granted permission to uh, take a detour last night. He went to the BYU Iowa State game up in Provo. Uh, that didn't go so well for his uh, his alma mater. I saw the score this morning, but uh, he uh, he was back here last night, and so uh, he'll be with us today. One last thing on Halliburton from me, Coach, and again, thank you for the time, especially with the time zone change here on this Wednesday morning. Are, is the expectation still will not play on the West Coast trip, reevaluated when you guys get back? That's the expectation. Yeah, I mean, uh, but we'll see. I, you know, he, he's making he's making progress. Um, I should say he's making steady progress, and um, and so you know we'll see what's what today. I, I know there have been a lot of clips of him on the court shooting, doing some running, uh, things like that. And um, so, I, again, all things all things considered, when this happened a week ago this past Monday, um, you know, I mean, the, the news was, was very good initially in terms of the MRI. And then, uh, you know, as, as he's kind of cycled through the first week plus, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of good positive signs. Thursday is the midway, and again, Rick Carlisle joins us coming up back-to-back Sacramento-Portland here coming up uh, Thursday and Friday night for the Pacers here on their West Coast trip. Uh, Thursday, I think, is the midway point of the season. I guess just kind of big picture, I'll leave it pretty open-ended. What have your general thoughts been? Certainly a lot of ebbs and flows through the first half of the year, but what are your general thoughts on what you've seen from your team through the first half? Well, many positives, uh, for sure. Um, a lot of people will hearken back to the to the in-season tournament, the run that was made there. That was exciting. Um, you know, we hit the reset button after Christmas with some pretty significant lineup changes and, uh, you know, a greater emphasis on defense. And, uh, you know, we've, we're 12 games into the, in, into the lineup change, you know, before the Utah game. Uh, over that uh, 11 game period, we um, have been ranked. We were ranked 12th in the league in defense, which is a significant improvement. That's something that's good. Um, you know, we let go of the rope a little bit in the Utah game, um, and you know they put up 130 or whatever it was. So that was that was disappointing. But we need to get back in the gym today and get get working on things and uh, you know get the wheels back on the wagon. Rick Carlisle with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Some guys have had to step up and play more minutes, and some young guys you mentioned in the Utah game had to do that as well. Uh, some of those young guys getting more minutes and playing different roles with all the injuries. Uh, how happy, or I guess, how you know what need what what else do they need to do to get more minutes? How would you evaluate guys who have got a little bit more of a chance to play here recently? Well, it's there have been some great opportunities. Uh, for these guys and uh you know more minutes are, are earned with uh consistent work with uh consistent work in with the G League team when they're assigned there um we we look very closely at their at their day-to-day um habits and uh you know we're we're very vigilant on the importance of building championship habits uh you know hard play type type of things consistency et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know the guys that got in at the end of the Utah game there were some there were some uh, some very good stretches there and then as I said I mean we let go of the rope in the last two minutes and let Keontae George knock in some threes and you know our, I think it was pretty clear that the guys that were out there were were very tired night night two in a row in in uh, in altitude you know it wasn't 5,200 feet, but it was 4,300 feet and uh, Utah's playing really well and they were rested. So that's, you know, it's, you come out West, none of this stuff is easy. Um, but, uh, you know, you saw, you saw the guys, the young guys do, do uh, a lot of good things. And you saw some things where, you know, more work is, uh, is, is going to be needed to continue. 
West Coast trip does continue. Sacramento and Portland on a back-to-back, and then Phoenix, as Rick Carlisle mentioned, to close things out coming up this weekend. Um, I remember a few, I don't know, maybe it was a couple of years ago, I was listening to Kevin Pritchard's talk around the trade deadline, Rick, and he mentioned something how you guys like to inform your players if they are involved in trade talks. I, I'm curious, like, what is that discussion? Or, like, when do you find it the point to inform guys? I, I, I From afar, I think that'd be, like, a really delicate balance of, like, yeah, you want to be transparent with your players, but, you know, when is the right time to inform them and, and do you worry about their psyche moving forward? So I, I, how do you approach that with the trade deadline coming up here in a few weeks? Yeah, I think I don't. I, Kevin, I don't know if you heard me when I said I can't talk about trade trade rumors, but I, I understand the question. I appreciate the question, um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a unique it's a unique approach, and you know, it's there's not. I don't I don't think you know if you ask Kevin Pritchard and and Chad Buchanan about this. I don't believe that they would tell you that there is any set formula. I mean, things probably <laughs> would have to be very imminent. And so a lot of, a lot of that stuff comes down to um, the timing and kind of the last, you know, uh, the last minute of things in, in most cases, um, you know, when I don't know, I, I can give you an example because this, this happened uh, basically in our locker room before a game. I mean, we, when Karis Levert was traded to Cleveland, we were actually in Cleveland and um, it was before the game and, you know, got word that the trade was, was virtually, virtually complete. And um, so we, you know, we, we talked to Karis. <laughs> it was in my office in the locker room in Cleveland and said, look, this is, you know, this is about to happen. We want to give you um, give you the respect of of, uh, of letting you know. And, and I also brought in a couple of other veteran players and and let them know because um, at that time those guys were the leaders of the team, and, and and it's a respect issue, and it's it's also something that um, is part of how we do things. So, yeah, that was that was one example of it, but there. I don't see a, a scenario where they're ever going to be exactly the same. Sure. Well, I appreciate you answering that. Um, last one from me, and I, I know it's not necessarily your sport, Coach, but I thought if you look at the past week or so from a football standpoint, some real titans in that in industry have retired or you know might be retiring, You know, whether you look at Nick Saban or Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick. You know, when you look at your run in the NBA – and, and, you know, again, maybe age doesn't match up with some of those guys. But why have you kept coaching for as long as you have when, you know, certainly the game has evolved um, a lot from, you know, when you got your first start in the NBA? Why why have you kept going, uh, you know, for more than 20 years? Yeah, well, that's, that's a very reflective question. But I, I, I would say that um, I just have such great love and respect for the game. I, I, I grew up <laughs> – I grew up um, in awe of the NBA from from afar. I, you know, I, I grew up in a part of the country that didn't have cable TV. I mean, two of our three TV stations were Canadian um, because I was up on the Canadian border in Augensburg, New York. We had a we didn't have cable. We had a something called a rotor, which is you know if you change channels, you you, you turn the rotor to. Uh, adjust your antenna to point a different direction. It was either Kingston, Ontario, or um, Ottawa, Ontario, were the two were the two places where there were TV stations other than Watertown, New York. So we had the, we had the CBS affiliate in Watertown, New York, but we didn't have ABC. And and back in those days, that's that was the uh, that was a network that had NBA games. So if we wanted to watch NBA games, we'd get in the car and drive 10 minutes into the city of Augensburg. And we had friends there that had cable. And so I, I watched it, you know, in, in, in great awe from a distance, grew up watching, you know, um, uh, you know, Al Cinder and Oscar Robertson. And, and of course, Al Cinder became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, with Milwaukee. And then I was a Laker fan for a few years when they were dominant, you know, the year they won 72. And then, 
then I became really fascinated with the 76ers from afar. And Dr. J was my favorite guy. And, and, and through it all, the irony for me was that, you know, I was, I was not a Celtic lover at all. And then I ended up getting, of course, getting drafted by the Celtics um, in, in a, in a year when they had just won the championship and didn't really think I had any chance in hell of making that team. But then, so sometimes if you're a role type player like me, the best thing to do is get uh, drafted by a team that, that has some real superstar talent. And then maybe you can be one of the guys that fits in. And so um, all that worked out. And I just, you know, I, I just love the game. I, and, you know, I went from five years as a player to my last shot with, with the Nets, uh, with Bill Fitch. Um, I made the team for a month and then he, cut me and offered me a coaching job in the same phone call. I worked for him for three years and Chuck Daly for two years in New Jersey. And, you know, Chuck, Chuck used uh, a great phrase. He said, um, you know, love and respect for the game is, is such, is such an important part of how things go in your career. Um, and so I just, I always had great love and great respect for the game. I, I, I would listen so intently to guys like Chuck, you know, on, on charter flights from city to city. And, um, and then, and then from there, I mean, I was an assistant for 11 years, got my shot as a head coach. And, you know, I've been asked over the years, you know, you know, the the question you asked similarly, um, but you know, what are your, what are your, what are your passions in life? Um, you know, the uh, n- number one is, is family, you know, my wife, Donna, my, my daughter, Abby, they're, they're number one, but uh, I love the game and I, and I, and I love to lead and to teach. And um, I have seven former assistant coaches that have gone on to become NBA head coaches. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things I'm most proud of. Um, I've got multiple people on this staff that are NBA head coaching material. Lloyd Pierce, obviously being, um, the one that's uh, that's the most obvious, and um, and so it's just it's a great game, and, and I it, you know such a blessing to be back um, in Indiana, Indianapolis, where so many important parts of my career have happened. You know, I went I went from being an opponent prep guy in Portland as an assistant to being Larry Bird's offensive coordinator, doing practice plans every day. Et cetera, and that and that really elevated my my confidence to become a head coach. Um, took a year off, you know, ended up getting the Detroit job for a couple of years. <laughs> we competed very intensely with the Pacers, and then ended up back with the Pacers, you know. And then that was a four year run, and then uh, you know an amazing thirteen year run in Dallas with uh, with Nowitzki and 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 Doncic and and Jason Kidd and Jason Terry. And great ownership all 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 along the way. So just you know, very very blessed to be back in Indy. You know, with uh, with an exciting young group. And the one thing I'll say about you know all the conversations, um, uh, whether they be about trades, about the ascension of our team, or whatever, is that um, we have an exciting thing going in in Indianapolis with the Pacers, and people are talking about the Pacers. Um, and high-level players around the NBA uh, are talking about playing with Tyrese Halliburton with the players, and that's something to get really excited about if you're a Pacer fan or part of the Pacers organization. Last, last one, Rick, and thank you very much for that answer. Um, I know your love also extends off the floor as well. Did I see correctly that the uh, Drive and Dish initiative that you are spearheading now, uh, the first delivery of meals, I think 500 boxes, happened earlier this week? That's right. 500 boxes per week of uh, 20-pound boxes of produce um, going out to Krista Moore House and uh, Edna Martin um, Christian Center. Uh, uh, Both are uh, community houses in in Indianapolis. Very, very proud to be part of this. And I I just want to mention the people that have made it possible. You know, it's it's, uh, myself, Steve Simon, uh, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, a good a good friend who's now a season ticket holder, Clay South from USA Upstar, has uh, has donated a significant amount of money. Um, Joe Sunderman from uh, Penn Station Subs is is a contributor, and uh, our own Mark Boyle is uh, is a significant contributor as well. And I'm, I'm very grateful for for all of those folks. And this is an opportunity 
to really address food insecurity in Marion County at a, at a very high level. So we're, uh, we're grateful to uh, 913 Logistics, uh, to Gleaners, and all the folks that are helping out. But uh, this, this is an exciting initiative, and, uh, and we're in this for the long haul. Appreciate you guys asking. You bet. Yeah, Congrats on that, great. Coach. Good luck tomorrow night and uh, safe travels the rest of the uh, road trip. And really appreciate you uh, making time for us despite the time change. So thank you for that. Okay. Good talking to you guys. Take care. Rick Carlisle, Payless Liquors Hotline. We are way over. We'll be back to round things out.